Well, good morning. All right, that was a little bit weak. It's the fourth, right? Y'all stay up all night? Or did you, were you kept up all night? Like I was, like I felt like I went to bed and all of a sudden there was this kaboom. And I was like, oh my goodness. Uh, it's good to see you. My name's Kyle Connell. I serve as the missions and 1825 pastor at our Lewis Center campus. And uh, always a thrill to be back with you here at Plain City. Appreciate Corey giving me this opportunity. Uh, my wife, Rebecca, and our three kids, uh, Kennedy is our oldest daughter. And then we have Will and Grant. Two of them are serving today. And I know this is all in Sunday, right? So we got a lot of kids in the house. Kids, are you all out there today? All right. That's okay. This is your moment. You can be loud. It's totally fine. Ignore your parents telling you to be quiet. Kids, are you out there? Okay, a few of you. You got your coloring sheets. You're ready to go. All right, it's awesome. Well, so thankful for all of you that volunteer week after week, and this is just kind of that Sunday, right, where you kind of get a day off, and uh, so we're glad that you're in here with us. Uh, it's a joy to be with you. If you're new to LifePoint, if you're a first-time guest, let me encourage you to do uh, a couple things for me. Scan the QR code in front of you on the seat, or you can go to lpguest.com. There's a short survey there. It'll take you less than a minute if you'll fill that out. At the bottom of that card, there are five partners that we already partner with. And uh, just for being here today, just to do something kind, if you'll check one of those, we'll make a $5 donation in your honor just for being with us today. Also, if you'll go there, you'll find the teaching notes. And uh, you can look at those and follow along. If you're a regular attender, I encourage you to go to the app, and uh, you can follow along with me today as we're going to be in John chapter 10, John chapter 10, and uh, we're looking at verses 1 through 10. If you have your Bible, I hope you do, let me encourage you to open that up, open up the app, and uh, we're going to dive into John chapter 10. This is one of those passages that if you've been around church, it may be a little bit familiar to you. Uh, John chapter 10, verse 10 says that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come, Jesus has come, that we might have abundant life. And I memorized this a long time ago in, uh, in the NIV 84 edition. So that dates me a little bit, right? But in that version, it says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life to the full. And so I ask you that question this morning. Are you living a full life? Listen, I know that your calendar is full. I've had conversations this morning that prove that, right? Some of you, uh, your head is full of worry and anxiety, Right? This, is, this seems different than the fullness of Christ that God is offering to us, right? And so are you living the abundant life that, has, that God has for you, or is your life defined by an abundance of stuff that will never fully satisfy? So that's where we're going today, right? How many of you want to live the abundant life? Okay, good. Four of you. Good. A bunch of you. Good. That's good, right? That was your chance, so you can't raise it now. It's too late. God wants that abundant life, right? And here's, here's the thing that I think that's crazy is not only does, does God offer that to us, Jesus wants that for us. He wants us to experience this full and abundant life. So as we're, we're going to get into John chapter 10, I think it's important that we recognize the context here of who Jesus is talking to. So you have to understand John chapter 9 because John chapter 9 and chapter 10 are just a continuation of of a story. There's no break like they put in the Bible, right, with the numbers and stuff, but there's really no break. In John chapter 9, you may be familiar with this story, this is where Jesus heals a blind man, right? Jesus sees the blind man, he makes some mud pies, he puts them on the guy's eyes, 
right, and tells him to go and to wash in the pool of Siloam, and then he will be able to see. And around this moment, the religious leaders get angry, right? And so you'll, we see this in John chapter 10, right? The religious leaders get angry. They basically go to this, this blind man and they say, who healed you? And the blind man replies, all I know is I used to be blind, I met a man named Jesus, and now I can see. Uh, where is he? The religious leaders ask him. And he says, listen, all I know is that I used to be blind, I met a man named Jesus, and now I can see. So why did he do it? <laughs> At this point, you can imagine the blind guy, right? He's like, listen, I don't think you're paying attention. Let me tell you, all I know is I was blind, Jesus, ta-da, right? Like, and, and it gets to this point where the blind guy even asks the question, do you want to be a follower of Jesus to these religious leaders? And, and Jesus rolls in, and the religious leaders ask, are you saying that we're blind? And Jesus answers them in John chapter 10. We're starting verse 1. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, the leaders, he who does not enter the sheepfold but by the door by the door, but climbs in by another way. That man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Listen, this is my prayer. This is my prayer for you, that if you do not know Jesus as the good shepherd, that you would hear him call your name today and that you would choose to follow him. If you, if you are a sheep, if you are a follower of Christ. Listen, this is not a compliment, by the way, right? Sheep are nasty. They're dumb. They, they can't take care of themselves. And if you're like, hey, wait a minute. Listen, it's true. Trust me, okay? I, I, God wants us to hear his voice. How do we hear his voice? Through his word, right? Listen, read it out loud. What do you hear? That's his word. That's his voice. He speaks to us that way, right? Sometimes he speaks in a still, small voice, Listen, it begs that question. Maybe, maybe you're sitting there thinking, I haven't, I, haven't heard, I haven't heard God lately. Do you think that's because he's not speaking or maybe the world is just too loud? We've got to be obedient. We've got to be consistent in our walk with the Lord. I want us to hear the voice of the shepherd. Verse 4, Jesus said, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow but they will flee from him. But they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pastures. Jesus is the door. If you think about this area that the sheep are being held in, it, you, you can see fine pictures and stuff of this, right? Like it's usually like a rock wall of some kind, and they're enclosed in this area, and there's only one way in, right? And so basically the shepherd is that door. He would literally lay himself down across the door so that no one could get in, so that animals couldn't get in, so that people couldn't get in, right? The only way from here to there, from here to heaven, is Jesus, Jesus would say this in four chapters later in John chapter 14. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So how do I go through him? You have to believe. 
You have to trust, right? He made the way for us. And then we get to verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Listen, the, I don't know if you read passages of Scripture a lot and you're kind of like, oh, I've read that before, and you just kind of gaze over it. That's kind of me for this. But as I was studying this week, that word only really stuck out to me. Right? The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. The enemy wants to kill you. He wants to kill your children. Right? He wants to take their hopes. He wants to take their dreams. He wants to kill their relationships. He is not for you. Right? He, he is not a good time waiting to happen. Everything is a trick or a trap. And that only and always leads to death. He wants to kill and he wants to steal. He wants to take things that are not his. He wants to take your joy, right? He wants to steal your intimacy with God. Listen, he wants to destroy everything good and godly in our life. The enemy attacks full on to steal, kill, and destroy. But I think for the faithful, for those of you that would say, man, I'm really trying to live for the Lord. I'm following Jesus. I'm reading my Bible. I go to church. I'm serving. I'm doing the things that are necessary. I think, I think in, in a lot of ways the enemy tries to get us to settle for scraps. He, he tries to, to say, hey, maybe you just need a little bit instead of a lot, right? And that's this, let me not experience the full life. Let me just experience a little bit of who God is. He's a deceiver, right? He's crafty. He wants us to settle instead of embracing all that Jesus is. Think about this. God made man to live in a perfect relationship with him, right? Perfect relationship where everything fits in harmony together. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, God said, he said, I saw all that I'd made, and it was what? It was very good, right? You think about Adam and Eve. They were in perfect relationship with Jesus. This, is his, this was God's design that they would, just, they would just enjoy being with him. And they did. Man, they were just enjoying life. They were doing the things that they wanted to do. They were enjoying being with God. Everything was great. And then they did the one thing that God told them not to do. They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They ate that apple, right? And it was both of them. Guys, don't think it was the woman. Adam was standing right there beside her, right? He could have said anything he wanted to do to stop her. They both ate from the apple. And then what happens? There's this brokenness. The relationship that was perfect is no more. They, they're, they're ashamed, right? They run and they hide because they don't have any clothes on. They're naked. They're ashamed. That perfect relationship with Jesus is gone. And that's what happens in our lives, right? We think we can do it on our own. We can make our own decisions. We're gonna, we're, we know what's best, right? And that's sin, and that's not God's design for us. Romans 3 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23 follows that. He says that the wages of sin, the, the, the payment, what you've earned for that sin is death. And we deserve that, right? And then we try to live this life. We try to find all these ways to fix that brokenness, whether it's through a relationship or a spouse or whether it's alcohol or work. It could be sports. We try to fill this void with all these things. But at this point, we need to realize there's good news, right? God does not want to leave us in our brokenness. He loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for us, right? It's the song that we just sing. Why do we sing? For the death that he died, for the life that he lived. 
He sent his son for us that we would not perish but have eternal life. He restored the relationship that was broken by dying on the cross. He tore the veil in two that we could have a relationship with him. And that's what God wants from us. He wants us to admit our sin, to confess our sin to him. In turn, we're living this life where we're trying to do things our way, do things the way that we want to do. And he says, no, you need to turn from that. 180 degrees, put your faith and your trust in me and walk with me. And this is what happens when we don't settle for scraps, right? And I, and I, I want us to see three things this morning for, for when, when we settle for scraps. Number one, scraps aren't always a bad thing. They're not always a bad thing. How many of you go to Costco and, and get samples, right? Some of you won't admit it because that's your lunch, right? You just hit every single sample and you don't have to go home for lunch because you've had everything, right? But the idea of a sample is what? That you try it and you see if you like it. And if you do, then you go buy a box of 1,000. And you have them for life if you shop at Costco, right? That's, that's, what a, that's what a scrap is. We do this in our home. My wife, anything that's put on our plate at home, my kids have to eat at least a piece. They have to at least try a scrap of it. You know, some of those foods have become some of their favorites. We do this at work. You have an internship, right? What is it? It's a scrap. It's a, it's a piece. It's an example of what could be, right? And so you're training in this way. So scraps aren't always a bad thing. Think about this from the standpoint of the Bible. A, 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 a drop of Jesus' blood can raise the dead. A, a, a mustard seed of faith, a scrap of faith can move a mountain. A, a, a scrap isn't always a bad thing, right? Scraps bring good news. Spiritual scraps make us hungry for more. And that's, that's, that's a good thing. The bad thing is a lot of times, unfortunately, we just settle. We just settle for scraps, so Jesus never wanted us to live by scraps alone. Number two, a lifestyle of scraps will leave you starving or satisfied. Think about this in terms of diet. I don't know if you've ever done a diet before. I, I have. I may need one to go on one now. But here's the reality of a diet. This may be true for you. Two things happen. Number one, you're just hungry all the time. That's, that's what happened to me. I, I remember doing a diet. I'm not going to call it out. I'm not going to try to bash the diet because it's not the diet, right? It's the person. But... Here's the reality. I was just starving. Like, it would be 8 and 9 o'clock at night, and I'm just like, okay, you could just hear my stomach growling. It's making these noises. So I'd go to the pantry, find like eight or nine baked potatoes, put them in the oven, and just eat them. Because that's like the only thing I was allowed to eat, right? You're just hungry all the time when you settle. Or number two, you get satisfied with less. That's what you're doing when you get on a diet, right? You're learning how to be content with less. Matthew 5, 7 says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Have you become satisfied with not seeing God move? Have you become satisfied with not reading your Bible? Are you satisfied with not practicing spiritual disciplines like fasting and prayer and journaling? John three thirty, John said, he must increase, I must decrease. Are you satisfied with scraps? Psalm 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Hebrews 5, 11 through 14 says, About this we have much to say. He's talking about people who are lazy, who are settling, scraps, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of unrighteousness or word of righteousness since he is a child. 
But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. We must constantly be in the word of God. Right? If you're hungry, cry out to God. There's more. There's more. Are you hungry? Number three, choosing scraps means we choose to settle. Listen, we, when, we, when we eat scraps, we're settling for less than the banquet that God has for us. Right? We're, we're settling for less than God's best. By definition, scraps is to accept something less satisfactory. So when we become less than God's best for us, what does that look like? I think maybe some of you have jobs that you're just working to work. But it's not what you're good at. It's not what God wants you to do. Right? And you're settling for that. Maybe you're in a relationship and you're just settling. Right? Don't look to the person on your left or your right at that point. But maybe there, there's this moment of, man, there's more for this than what God has for me. Right? Maybe even in parenting, uh, there, there's this idea that it, sometimes it's just easier to go on the iPad. This is just true. This was me yesterday. We had my in-laws were in town. It was great. But it's exhausting. And we just needed a break. And sometimes it's easy just to settle. Right? Um, maybe it's church. Maybe it's church. Maybe you know that God wants you to do more than what you're doing. Maybe there's an opportunity for you to serve. And you're just like, ah, I'm just going to show up. You're just settling. What about your finances? Jesus said it is more blessed for you to give than it is to receive. Some of you are missing out on the blessing of God by not, not tithing. We teach this to our children. Now, I was reminded of that only because it's the first of the month, and so that's when they get their allowance. So all week they've been talking about what they're going to do with the money that they get. Right? But we've trained our kids to give 10% of the little bit they make, 10% to the church, 10% to savings, and then the rest of it is theirs. We want them to understand the value of giving their first fruit to the Lord. Right? They're not settling, they're giving their best. Right? Here's what happens when we start to settle. I think there's some steps to settling. Number one, we, we compromise. Right? Compromise kind of creeps in. I'm, gonna, I'll, I'm not going to read my, I'll read my Bible right later today. And then we just don't get to it. Or, you know what? I don't know. It's pretty early. 10 o'clock. I think I'm just going to sleep in the day and I'll go to church next week. And then next week comes and what happens? You don't make it. And then next week comes and you don't make it. Right? We just begin to compromise. And when we compromise, we get comfortable. Comfortable feels good. Right? It's cozy. Listen, we're not supposed to be comfortable. We don't live in, we're not, Jesus didn't promise comfortable. Right? I think about verses like 1 Peter where he says, after you have suffered a little while, I will restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Consider it joy when you face trials of many kinds. We're not supposed to be comfortable. Right? Paul, Paul wrote half of the New Testament from where? Prison. He was not comfortable. But yet he, how often does he say, rejoice in the Lord always? Again, I say rejoice. There's joy in the Lord. Right? We have to not settle for being comfortable. And when we do that, when we settle for being comfortable, then we just start to lower our expectations. Right? We just quit thinking that God's going to use us. And when we stop Stop lowering our, when we lower our, risk, our, our, our expectations, then there's this, this, we don't take risks anymore, right? We lower, our, our, we take less risks. So when the neighbor moves in, the new neighbor moves in, you're like, ah, somebody else can tell them about Jesus. I'll let them do that. You know what? That mission trip sounds awesome, but ah, we'll let somebody else go. That, that'd be a big step, right? And we just take less risks. And then what happens is we just settle for being good. We just settle for being good. There's a great book out there. 
It's an older book, secular book, called uh, Good to Great. But in that, he says, good is the enemy of great. Good is the enemy of great. One of the big reasons people don't get God's greatness is because they settle for good. Right? When life is good, you don't want to pursue great because that takes work. Listen, if you want the greatness of God, it's going to require a little bit extra. Right? You just got to be hungry. You got to pursue it. First Timothy chapter 4 said this, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. While bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise to the present life and also the life to come. It's going to take work, right? Here, here's a less spiritual way maybe to think about this. What if, what if uh, you settled for a good movie instead of a great movie? How do you do that? What if you stopped watching a movie about 10 minutes before it ends? It'd be a good movie, right? Let me give you an example. Think about it. What would happen to Rocky? He'd lose like 10 times, 12 times he'd lose, right? Indiana Jones would be poor or dead. Sleeping Beauty would still be asleep, right? Ernest would never have saved Christmas. Tommy Boyd would be in jail. Listen, if we stop the story of Jesus when he dies and goes to the grave, that, if that's the end of the story, it's good. He did something for us. That's not the end of the story. Three days later, he rose from the grave. Amen? And he lives today in our hearts. He has conquered sin. He has conquered death. Right? And that's the great news of the gospel, is that he loved us so much that we can have that abundant life with him. Jesus wants the abundant life for us. One of the things that I do uh, every morning for my time with the Lord is I listen to a podcast by David Platt. It's called Pray the Word. And he, he did one on John chapter 10, verse 10. And so I want to share just a piece of that with you uh, this morning. I think it's relevant to what we're talking about. He says, why did Jesus come? Now, there's all kinds of answers that we see in Scripture. Ultimately, he came to save us from sin. He reconciled us to God to glorify the Father through his obedience. We could go on and on and on through the Scripture answering why did Jesus come. But here in John chapter 10, verse 10, we see the answer. He says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Why did Jesus come? He came to save us so that we could have an abundant life. He came so that he would, uh, and, and he came that we could have abundant life, sorry. And he says, how is that possible? He says, well, he's a good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. And the whole picture here is that there's an adversary who does not want us to have an abundant life. He came to steal and to kill and destroy our lives. But Jesus came to lay down his life for the sheep. He went to the cross. He paid the price for our sin that leads to our destruction. He took that destruction upon himself. And his sacrifice for us as his sheep, he made an abundant life possible for you and me. That's what he created us for, an abundant life. Don't you want to grow in your experience of an abundant life? Sometimes I hear people talk about Christianity almost like it's a sacrifice in the sense of, oh, I got to let go of all these good things in the world in order to have Christ and save my skin for all of eternity. This is not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is not letting go of all the great things this world has to offer and settling for less, for settling for scraps. No, it's letting go of lesser things in this world so that we might experience the abundance 
that Jesus alone provides now and for all of eternity. Listen, God wants us to experience the abundant life. I think there's two tragedies in this world, two great tragedies. Number one, you have no relationship with Jesus. That's the ultimate tragedy. Philippians chapter 2 says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I pray that 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 happens for you on this side of eternity. I pray that even today you would let us walk with you in that way as a church. Number two, the second greatest tragedy would be this, that you get to glory, that you're standing in heaven with all the saints, all the believers of every tribe and every nation, and you look around and you realize you had nothing to do with it. That's a tragedy because we're called to live sent. We're called to live a life on mission. Listen, as a believer, God wants us to make the most of every opportunity that he puts before us. He wants us to put our yes on the table and be willing to go wherever he sends us. Maybe that's to your neighbors. Maybe it's to a friend or a a classmate or a teammate. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's to West Lafayette, Indiana. Maybe it's to Nepal, to Spain, to the ends of the earth. I was reminded of that this week. I was praying for and thinking about some friends of ours who uh, have really been more than a friend. They've really been a mentor to us for, for, for a long time. But they, they grew up, uh, the man was a pastor in a local church, felt like God was calling him to do more, put his yes on the table, and his family ended up in New York City where they planted a church. They've done that now for over 12 years. And I was talking to him uh, a couple weeks ago and just praying for him and And he said, man, we got some exciting news. Their kids now are all grown up. They're empty nesters. And so for some, that's like, okay, now I get to enjoy the rest of my life, right? I get to enjoy the world and do the things that I want to do. And I was talking to them, and they're like, you know what? Now we're empty nesters. We feel like God's calling us to go to France. So now they're moving to Virginia. They're going to walk through the international mission board process of being full-time missionaries in France. And it was just this reminder, man, that God has never done with us. God can use us however he wants if we'll just put our yes on the table. If we'll just be willing to go and do the things that God wants us to do. Right? Here's the reality. The enemy wants to steal, he wants to kill, and he wants to destroy you. If that's true, then the abundant life has to be the opposite of that. So the abundant life is this. The opposite of steal is what? To give freely. Jesus did that. He gave his son freely. For us, the opposite of to kill is to save a life, to protect life. We want to do that. We want to protect life. The opposite of destroy is to repair, to make whole. And the gospel does that. The gospel can make us whole. Jesus is the abundant life. He's the good shepherd. So begs that question that we asked at the very beginning. Are you living the abundant life or a life defined by an abundance of stuff that will never satisfy? Let's pray. God, help us. Help us to think rightly about life. Help us to think honestly about who you are. God, your love for us, your goodness, your graciousness. Father, we're grateful for the love that you've shown and the life that you gave. Father, I pray that we would all truly desire to know you to experience the abundant life in ways that we never have before. Father, you are a good, good father. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.